Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. Church, come on, can we make some noise in the comments? We're excited here in the building. We're excited for some church, Romans part four. And uh, real quick, wanna just talk to those maybe joining us for the first time. If, if you're new to Calvary, if this is your first time tuning in on our YouTube channel, can we just say we are so glad, we're so honored that you would join us for the first time. I uh, really believe, even though we've maybe never met, this is your first time, we consider you part of the Calvary family, and we just want you to know that you are loved. We believe you have a purpose. God is for you, not against you. And we pray that today, by the end of the message, by the end of our experience, you would feel God's presence like never before. And maybe you're like, well, I don't even know what God's presence is. It's okay. We hope you feel good and feel happy knowing that Jesus loves you and is for you. And that's our goal here at church. And as Pastor Alex and I said, we are continuing a series to the book of Romans. And if you don't know, uh, it's been, this is week four. And if you want to go back and join us, join in and join us, if you want, uh, week one, what we talked about, why the gospel was needed. And Romans is really gospel-centered, really, really, Paul wants to get across that there is good news that Jesus died for us and we no longer have to live in sin. So the first week we talked about why the gospel is needed. Second week, we talked about what the gospel provides. When we accept the gospel, what, is, what does that bring, what are the benefits, what does that do to our lives? And then week three, last Sunday, we talked about what does the gospel produce? That once we're saved, once we accept the free gift of salvation, what, what happens? Like, how does our life change? How do, we, how do we respond? What's our behavior like as Christians? So I want to encourage you, these, these sermons are incredible. How we break down the book of Romans is super practical, super easy. And I want to encourage you, share it with your friends. Go through it again with your connect groups. Let's make sure we're following along and making sure that we are learning what God has for our life through Romans. And, and I really believe that part four is going to be no different. There is a lot of context, there's a lot of, lot of stuff going on in these three chapters, but I really believe it's a very basic premise that Paul wants to get across. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in chapter, Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, but I want to give a little bit of context. So while you're going there, uh, no rush, I'm going to let you know what's happening with these three chapters. And uh, Paul, he is a passionate man. He, he loves his fellow Jewish people. And what's happening right now in this section of the book of Romans is you have a conflict happening. You have the Jewish people, which are God's chosen people, are upset that Gentiles, which means non-Jew, people that were not Jewish, are getting saved. You see, once Jesus came down to earth, down on the cross for our sins, rose up from the grave, and we believe he's alive today, once he did that, once he fulfilled his prophecy and his mission, the cross was for everybody, not just for the Jewish people, but for every single person that calls on his name. Now, the Jews were not happy about that. We're God's chosen people. How can they get saved? They're not Jewish. And so there's that tension. And then Paul's also talking to the Gentiles. They're saying, hey, look, you see that self-righteousness that the Jews have? You see that, that pride, that hypocrisy? I want you guys to stay humble because I don't want you to fall under that same mentality. And so Paul's just trying to maneuver all these emotions. And really the main focus for Paul is this, and his main concern is, is that his heart is broken because his people, the Jewish people, the chosen people of Israel have rejected Jesus. Jesus came down to earth and he was rejected by his own people. And Paul now is saying, 
no, no, I have to fix this. My people, they, they don't realize that they're not really free, that the laws and religion is not the way they need to accept Jesus. So through these chapters, his heart is breaking and he's, and he's arguing and he's trying to, in, he's advocating that Jesus is the only way. I think a lot of us can learn from these chapters. And so if you have a title or if you want to write a title for your notes, uh, t- the title of my talk is, Did I Mess Up My Future? Did I Mess Up My Future? And that'll all tie in together as we read it. And we're gonna be in chapter 10, looking at verses one through 13. We're gonna see all the chapters, but I believe this section here in chapter 10 is really the heart of what Paul's trying to get at through these three chapters. And it says this, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but his misdirected zeal. Paul was somebody who was super, he was, a, he was so passionate about religion that it, that it got him to the point where he was murdering Christians because he felt like their message was incorrect to his. So he knows what it is to be passionate for the wrong thing. And he sees it with his people and he says this, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself, refusing, the people of Israel were refusing, they were rejecting Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ, he's already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Jesus did all the work, now we can accept salvation freely. Verse 5, for Moses writes the law, the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience. You have to obey the laws. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it said, the message is very close at hand and is on your lips and in your hearts. And that message is the very message about faith we preach. Underline these next two verses because they are the epitome of the gospel. What what it means to be saved. And it says this. Verse 9, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There is your answer to salvation. You'll be saved if you believe and confess. Not laws, not religion. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and is openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's a good spot to say amen and praise Jesus a little bit because all are welcome at the foot of the cross. Jesus is for everybody. And that's what Paul is trying to get at. But here's the thing. The Israelites have a past and their past has come back to haunt them. And now we're going to see what Paul has to say about those of us who struggle with our own past. So let's pray. And ask God to bless our time together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. Thank you for everybody, every single person that's tuning in. Uh, whether they're watching here in Miami, across the world. God, we are one church, one body, one family in you, Jesus. And we thank you that your family's diverse. We thank you that everybody looks different. There's, there's uniqueness in the body of Christ. We thank you for that, Jesus. We also thank you for salvation that is given to everybody freely, Jesus. That you did all the work. And all we have to do is confess and believe. It's the easiest, it's the easiest thing to do. And all we have to do is believe in you and we could be saved. I pray that tonight, today that people would just fall in love with you, Jesus. They would understand that you are for them. You're not against them. You're not mad at them. You don't hate them, but you're madly in love with them, so in love with them that you sent your son, God, Jesus, down the cross for us. It's the ultimate sacrifice. It's the ultimate price to pay, and it was for us because you love us. So, Lord, we love you. 
Pray that this scripture will come alive to us today. Let me pray. Amen, amen, amen. I love video games. Can I just confess that? I love video games. I'm 30 years old. I love video games. You can judge me. It's okay. It's all right. I'm secure in what I love and what I don't like. So here's the thing. Video games for me, it was, it was my pastime. It was something I grew up with. I mean, my childhood was Super Mario Kart, Super Smash Brothers, Guitar Hero. Like I legit thought I could play the guitar just because I could play Guitar Hero. Like I was, I was so fascinated with video games. I love playing Madden, like NCAA. But my favorite game growing up was Pokemon. And uh, Pokemon had that famous, you know, can you know that, that, that how it goes? What is it? Gotta catch them all, Pokemon. Okay, you don't know. You're leaving me up here to dry. Okay, that's fine. You know it, Kenny. I know you know it. And, uh, but I loved playing video games, and I was always playing video games. It was a part of my life. And here's the thing. Video games are great. They're awesome. I think they, they do, they do, they put us in another world, and it, it's crazy, the graphics, the gameplay, the fun we can have. But here's the thing. There's a very dark and dangerous side to video games. And that dark, dangerous side of video games is that they're very addicting, yeah. extremely addicting. We're, <laughs> I just heard my wife say amen. <laughs> and it's one of those things where you play and you play and like every, all your focus is now on video games. It's like, I got to beat this level. I got to beat the boss. I got to pass this high score. I have to, I have to. And now you're driving your goal is strictly on the video games. And all reality doesn't even matter, only what you see virtually. And that's, that's the dangerous part of video games. Now look, did I get addicted from time to time? Sure. If you consider getting addicted, playing up till four in the morning on a school night, addicting, then that, yeah, that was me in middle school. But I wasn't that kid that like, you know, I wasn't, you know, playing my Game Boy with my headphones on at Chili's because my mom would have slapped me to the next year. And so that wasn't the case, but it was very addicted at times. Fast forward though, life is different. Life has changed. I'm now in college. I'm now a young studious young man and I'm playing football, but life is pretty busy with school, with football practice. I'm like, dude, I cannot play video games. This is not the life for me. I'm gonna throw in the towel. I'm retiring from video games. So like around 19, I, I just stopped playing video games. I don't play anymore and I focus on, you know, doing well in school. And so that's important. And so I focus just on going to school and making sure football is successful and that's it. But now I graduate, I get involved in ministry and life continues and continues. But now at the age of 27, the idea of playing video games again is brought back into my life by my good friends, Kenny Blanco and Mikey Coyasso, who are actually on staff here. And <laughs> iron sharpens iron. And so here's the thing. They would, oh, every time I would see them, like every single time, it was like, bro, when are you gonna get, you know how Kenny talks, bro, when are you gonna get a PS4? Like, when is it, when's it gonna happen? Dude, like, you gotta play with the boys. Like, it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be amazing. Like, like yo, we play all the time. It's so much fun. Like, you gotta get a PS4. And I'm like, man, it's been a while. I haven't played PS4. There's so many games I missed out on. Man, it sounds like a good idea. So I did what any good boyfriend at the time would do is beg his girlfriend for a PS4. And so literally what I did was I, at the age of 28 on my birthday, my wife like chipped in and got me a PS4. It's great. It's been amazing. She surprised me with a PS4 and my gaming life, my gaming world was now back into my life. And I started playing nuts. I mean, like every day I was playing every single game that I missed out throughout the years, having fun, the nostalgic feeling of playing. It was great. It was amazing. But here's the kicker. The addictive nature in my past started to kick in in my present. And it got so bad that I started playing more video games and hanging out with my wife. So thank you, Kenny and Michael. You almost ruined my marriage. Shout out to you guys. And it got, it got so bad. We're like, man, I, I, I was like, man, am I really, really going to allow video games 
to ruin my marriage and my future happiness with my wife. And I'm like, no, this cannot happen. I went out to something silly as video games to get in the way. So as a good husband, I sat down with my wife and listened to everything that she said. And she told me that I can only play a certain time. So I was literally on a time and day restriction that's still in effect to this day. You know, we can talk in the past, but right now things are going great. Problem is solved and all is well in our marriage. It's been great. Now, here's the thing. I say all that to prove this point that there was, a, there was a season literally where the past addictive nature, the negative aspect of my past started to seep into the present and it started to harm my future. That I allowed my past struggles to enter my pe- present, hold me bondage and say, hey, your future is in jeopardy. Your, your marriage is in jeopardy if you do not control this from your past. And what I wonder, what I question is how many people today are struggling with their past and still being haunted by their past. So struggling with the things from their past, whether it's past trauma, whether it's past relationships that just went down the gutter and it's just, it's just a, a cycle and effect of more and more pain and more and more pain. You feel like my past will never let me go. It's past trauma, past, past choices and decisions that you still regret to this day. I believe this, that if we don't keep our past in the past, our present becomes a prison. Our present becomes a prison and we are held captive by the issues of our past. And we feel that we are in bondage to the things of our past. And no matter how hard we try in our own strength, no matter how many self-help books that we read, there's nothing that's going to give us hope for the future. So we get to the point where we're like, my past, it's it's too messed up. The decisions, I cannot come out of this decision. This financial decision that I made, I'll never recover. I'll never find the girl of my dreams. I'll never find the man of my dreams because of all the past. There's no way. I'm stuck in this present cycle of bad pain over and over, and I feel like I'll never get out. And so what we start to do is this. We start to question ourselves, and the voice in our head starts to say, did I mess up my future? Did I throw it all away? Did 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 I toss God's future for my life, which is the best path to take for things that I thought would give me happiness, things I thought were the goal, the dream, the aspiration. And instead I'm going, I I ruined my future. This is it, there's no coming back from this. But this is the beauty of Romans, the beauty of Paul's God-inspired writing is that here's the main point he wants you to get. If there's one thing you get from chapters nine through 11, if, if you could put all three chapters in one sentence, it is this, and I believe it is there's somebody here today watching online, maybe even in this church, and it is this, that you are going to have to fight to keep the problems of your past from bleeding into your present so it doesn't harm your future. And the only way that you do that is looking to the cross of Jesus Christ, not in your own strength, not with self-help books, not with what the culture says, but if you look at the cross and you see what Jesus did for you, not only did he die for your salvation, but he says, I'm going to give you a purpose while you're on earth and you'll never have to guess if your future's secure because all you have to do is remind yourself that I died for you. And I put my life on the line for you. And so if you, ever, if you ever regret it, if you ever question it, you are in good hands. It doesn't matter your past, your present, your future is in my hands. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that those that are in Christ are new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. If you put your hope in Jesus, you have a brand new beginning and your future is set before you and it'll never change. It'll never, it'll never be revoked. God sent his son that you would know that. You don't have to do things on your own. Your future isn't in harm. 
doesn't matter how bad your past or your present may seem. Take it from Israel. Israel is going through the same problem. The nation of Israel, the great nation of Israel now is in a cycle where their past has come to haunt their present and their future is now in jeopardy. And they don't even know what's going to happen. Are we still God's people? Are we still chosen? Is he going to bless us? Is he going to take away his promises? Because of the past now seeping into their present. If we were to break down chapters 9 through 11, it would go something like this. Paul is writing in chapter 9 to Israel's past. And their past can be defined as a self-righteous past. That, that the people of Israel were so self-righteous, so stuck on doing things their own way, that when it comes to chapter 10, that self-righteousness now turns into rejection. And they use that self-righteousness to say, we don't need Jesus. You could keep Jesus over there. He can, he can help whoever he wants. But the Jews, we're, we're already saved by birthright. Because we're born Jewish, we're saved, so we don't need Jesus. So that self-righteousness, that puffed up spirit made them reject the gospel. And in chapter 11, it's what's our future? Did we mess this up? Are we too far gone? Is there no hope? Are we lost forever? And so what I would like to do is break down each chapter and see how that can pertain to our life. How can we learn from the mistakes of our past? How can we get better in our present, but ultimately have hope for the future in Jesus Christ? And so we're gonna start in chapter nine and I pray that you would take some notes because again, we're gonna talk about a lot and I pray that you would just take this time to really lean, that you expect the spirit to speak to you. Chapter nine, I mean, we have to ask the question, well, if chapter nine is defined by self-righteousness, what, where, what is the genesis of that, of that feeling, of that, of that hypocrisy, of that pride? Where did it come from? Where, where did that self-righteousness spawn out of? And you see, Paul talks about it. Literally, he uses this idea that if the Jewish people are God's chosen people and being God's chosen people has benefits, how would that make you feel? We all love benefits. I love the benefits I get with Amazon Prime. I love that I can get super fast shipping and I get amazing TV shows, all for $13.09. Exactly $13.09. That's how do I know that? Because I'm on it all the time. And so that's the thing. We love benefits. We love being able to get hooked up with things that we don't deserve, that we, we know we can get. And here's the thing that gets to the, to the Jewish people's head. Look what it says in Romans 9. He, Paul uses the example of Moses in the Israelites and Pharaoh in the Egyptians. And he says this, verses 15 to 18. He says, for God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you to for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. So here's, here's, the, here's the gist of what Paul is saying. He's saying, the Egyptians and Pharaoh were sinners. Moses and the Israelites were sinners, but they were treated differently. Mo, uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians were judged and they were punished. Moses and the Israelites were shown grace. Both, both sinned, both fallen away from God. Literally, the Israelites were worshiping a golden calf. They weren't even worshiping God. They were, they were God's chosen people and they should know better. But yet God, because he chose them, gave them what we call a term that I want you to write down. It's called grace election. 
They were elected by God as his chosen people. And that grace election gave them an escape whenever there was a mistake, whenever something did happen, not treating like everybody else, that God would give Israel, the, the people, the Jewish people, and a way out no matter how bad they sinned because they were chosen. They were elected. They had special favor and grace over them. So can you imagine having grace election over your life? That no matter what you did, it's like, well, I'm God's chosen, we're God's chosen people. We, we can mess up. We can lose because we know that there's always going to be an escape door for us to get out of it. And God's not going to treat us like everybody else. And so we're good. And so you can imagine they're like, oh, you're not God's chosen. You're not God's chosen. And that self-righteousness spirit starts to go up and up and up. And here's the thing about self-righteousness. You would be the last person to notice it. We all can get self-righteous. And I think some of us are struggling because the decisions in our past were created with a self-righteous attitude that I can, I can do this, I have the answers, I know where to go. And guess what? A lot of us, we, go, we walk into, like here's the thing, you can be a believer and you can be a non-believer and still struggle with self-righteousness. We think self-righteousness is a Bible term, but no, self-righteousness is something we all deal with. Some of you go into work and you go into the office, you're like, yo, how did Martha get a raise when I have more sales than her? Like how, 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 like we all just judge other people or it's like, yo, why is Calvary going online? Elevation does it better, so I'm gonna watch their service. And you just judge, judge, criticize, criticize, criticize. But in reality, you're blind to what you're feeling, which is something that you don't even like about yourself. Here's the thing, I, I, I think a lot of us are like this illustration I'm about to share. There was a, a grandpa who went to go visit his grandkids and uh, his grandkids decided to play a prank on him. And so the grandpa, he's taking a nap. You know, grandpa's taking naps, not normal. I mean, not out of the ordinary. He's just hanging out. And so they decide to put Limburger cheese on his mustache. See this mustache right here? This nice one right here? Yep, just like that. And if you don't know anything about Limburger cheese, all you need to know, it smells horrendous. It's awful. I don't even know if it tastes good. I smelled it before and it's, I almost threw up. It's that bad. And so they smeared on his mustache. And so grandpa, he's taking a nap and he wakes up like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And he's like, this, this living room, stinks like it stinks in here like this like what is this smell so he gets up from the living room he's cranky from his nap from being woken up from now he goes to the kitchen he goes this kitchen stinks like why why is everything stink it's like i can't do it. i can't be in this house the living room stinks the kitchen stinks i'm gonna go outside i need some fresh air grandpa goes outside <sighs> the whole world stinks like why does everything stink and that's the thing about self-righteousness. We think everything around us stinks and we judge other people and we look at other people like, you stink, you stink. But in reality, it's the, we are the ones that stink. And we don't even see it. And we, we blame other people for our bad decisions, for our, our, our mess ups, our, our failures. And we're like, how did this person affect my life like that? Why did they do that? Why, why am I like this? It's their fault, it's her fault. In reality, we need to look at ourselves and stop blaming people for the past that we made and say, you know what? I'm gonna break away from that past and believe that if I surrender my life to Jesus, he will step into my world and affect my present and affect my future because I can't do it on my own anymore. I think it's the problem with all of us. We're self-righteous like the people of Israel. And we think it's our way or the highway. In reality, it's always going to be Jesus' way. It's the right way. It's the only way. Here's the thing. That self-righteousness you're struggling with right now, you cannot remove it in your own. It's impossible. It's impossible. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to come into your life and start to come in here and start, start changing some things around. Start, start changing how you feel about people. Start, start, shaping you to, start shaping your language and your actions to be more like Jesus. You know what's crazy? Three things happen when, when, when you invite the Holy Spirit 
Tell people with your self-righteousness, you know what happens? You start to compliment people more than complain about people. It's crazy how that works. You start to come out, man, Martha, your sales have been doing great. You're amazing. You wanna go get some Chipotle? It'd be awesome, it'd be awesome. We, we, let's hang out, we need to hang out more. You're amazing. Like, it changes your attitude. You know what you need to do? On Monday, in your workplace, go to the person that you do not like, that you despise, and just say, say a compliment. Just say good morning. Like, just, just it, change, like, it changes your attitude. Instead of saying, she came late again, I can't believe it. But we don't know their story. Why does that person come in late? Why is she struggling? We don't know. Give them a compliment, and I guarantee you it's gonna open doors for conversations and connecting with other people. Second thing the Holy Spirit does when you invite him inside is that we listen more than we talk. That we listen more. It's like when you're self-righteous, you're a big time talker. You talk, you talk, you talk, you talk your way. And it's like, okay, okay, I get it. Your story, it's awesome. Can I tell you what I'm struggling with? Can I tell you with what I'm dealing with? And when you are with Jesus, your self-righteousness now is put aside and you can listen to people struggle and say, hey, can I hear your story? Tell me about your life. Tell me about what's going on in your world. And then third thing is, that we stay humble or we get humbled. Jesus is quick to humble us. If we think we are great because of some Instagram followers, because of our work, uh, our, our, our results at work or how, how many people like us, or, but we have to be careful that that doesn't get to us and that self-righteousness starts to spring back up. But in reality, if that happens, God will humble us because he loves us and he wants us to be an example like Jesus. So chapter nine, that self-righteousness is, is back in full force. It's so potent, it's so, it's so strong that now in chapter 10, that self-righteousness now leads to rejection. The people of Israel, they, they rejected Jesus. They rejected the savior, they rejected the one who did miracles and healed people, but because they were so self-righteous, that rejection was just too easy to do. No, Jesus, you got it all wrong. We have to obey the laws, we have to do this. If we don't do this, Jesus, then we're not, we won't be saved. We have, Jesus, we have to. So you keep on doing what you're doing, Jesus, and we're going to do our thing. Here's what I believe that most of our life, we're doing the same thing. Because of our self-righteousness, which I believe self-righteousness leads to self-destruction. I believe that the more self-righteous we are, the more self-destruction we are going to experience in our future because we are our own worst enemies at times. When we live like that, what happens is, he said, no, Jesus, you don't understand. I know how to find happiness. I know what makes me happy. And so I'm gonna keep doing what makes me happy. Oh no, and guess what, Jesus? I know how to get to heaven too. I just gotta be a good person. I just gotta do the right thing. I gotta wake up early. I gotta brush my teeth. I gotta be a good person at work. I gotta be a good husband. I gotta be a good father. And yes, those things are great, but without Jesus, it's just smoke and mirrors. A lot of us, I don't know why it is with humanity that we don't understand that the more we live rejecting, the more we will live regretting. We would keep rejecting and rejecting and reject. It's like, no, Jesus, no, not today, not today. No, 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 I gotta go to the club, Jesus. No, no, because if I, if I accept you, Jesus, I can't go to the club no more. I can't go, I wanna keep clubbing. Gonna, clubs are gonna open up soon, clubs are gonna open up soon. I gotta, Jesus, I, and we reject and we reject. And what happens is when life starts to move by, we look back at our past and say, I regretted that decision that I made. Instead of going to the club, I should have been in church. Instead of going after that girl, I should have listened to all my guys in my men's group, told me not to do it, just don't do it. But we reject and we reject because that self-righteousness bleeds into our present. Humanity, we're, we're, we're addicted to performance-based living. Maybe it's an American thing that we do that we have to perform well to be loved, we have to perform well to be liked, we have to perform well to, to be successful. 
And I'm not saying, you know, even here at church, we believe in Jesus, we believe that we're saved in Jesus, but we want to do things with excellence. And I, and I get that. But when it becomes your God, your religion, it's dangerous. I don't know why it's so hard for us to just say, God, I'm, I'm guilty. I, 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 my way isn't working. So I'm just gonna give the keys of my life to you and you take over. You take over, God. I'm done trying. I'm, I'm done going after dead end and dead end and dead end and saying, I, I give you control. But I think what we do is we act like, we act like, ch like children trying to impress their parents. Today, I gotta, be, I gotta be a good boy. I gotta be a good girl because if not, daddy and mommy aren't gonna love me. I gotta, I gotta make sure today I behave the best that I can. But can I tell you, that's not, that's not the life God has for you. You see, Jesus, he wants a contrite heart, not a conceited performance. Doesn't want, doesn't want conceited performance. Doesn't want you doing stuff to, to look good in front of him, like to show off. No, he just wants your heart to say, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of trying to do things my own way, Jesus. And you know what? I'm, a, I'm, I'm going to give my life to you. A contrite heart. One that's, I'm guilty of trying to do these things on my own. Don't reject Jesus. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. That if we do reject him, he never rejects us. He never reciprocates the same attitude we give to him. That's, that's not who he is. So you can keep rejecting, you can keep rejecting, but he will run and run and run after you till the end of the earth. You can keep rejecting, but he will still follow after you. That's the God that we serve. That you can run as far as you want in Miami, to the club, to the drinking, all that stuff. He'll find you. So keep rejecting, keep rejecting. He's going to keep running after you. So I love about Jesus. He doesn't, doesn't do things at our level. It's like, you reject me, but guess what? I'm not going to reject you. The same way he treated the Jews. Oh, you reject me? I'm still going to die for your sins. And you can choose. Here's the thing. Your future... God's future includes you, but does your future include God? And it's election season, and God wants you to be in heaven. The devil wants you to be in hell. It's election season. You need to choose. You need to choose. Are you going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue to do that? I hear you, Phil, but i got to keep doing things my own way. Or are you going to say, you know what? No, no, I'm not going to give in to the devil's schemes. I'm, I want to go to heaven. I want a purpose. I want, I want a life that, that I couldn't even imagine on my own. You have to choose. Do your plans include God? Because you're in his plans. You're, you're, you're wanted by Jesus so much that, that all you have to do, it's the easiest way to do it. Just believe and confess. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he was dead for three days and he rose from the grave in your life today, and you confess that you're a sinner, you're saved. Jesus did all the work. So choose him. Stop rejecting him. And so that rejection makes people of Israel wonder, okay, well, what's our future? What, um, what's next, Paul? Like, you're a Jew like us. Like, do you have some insight here? What's going on? And Paul, he, it's a beautiful, beautiful text, but there's one verse that really sums it up. And I'll say this is a lot of us, the reason why we, we worry about our future is because our focus is in the wrong place. So, so if we want to remember our future in God, we need to renew and refocus and reset how we look at things. Because a lot of us, we forget that, that God is with us because we're focused on what we're dealing with right now. So this is what Paul tells the Romans. I mean, this is what Paul is telling, telling who he's writing to, and this is, who Paul, this is what Paul's trying to tell you today. Look what it says in Romans eleven twenty nine. It says, for God's gift and his call are irrevocable. You're like, what does that mean? It means that 
the gifting over your life, the call over your life, he, God's not going to return and say, hey, you messed up. I need that back. I'm going to give it to somebody else. No, no, it's irrevocable. So it doesn't matter how bad your past might have been and how bad your present is currently, that his gift and calling over your life are irrevocable. That means you can come back on a Sunday and start serving even though you feel like you shouldn't even step foot in the church. That means that if you stop taking, that means if you didn't do growth track step one, you're like, well, I, I messed up. No, no, come back, learn about your gifting, learn about your callings. Oh my gosh, the connect group cycle's over. It's okay. We still have cycles open and available. Connect groups are available. Don't feel like one mistake counts you out from stepping into God's plan for your life. Because you are gifted. Listen to me. You are gifted. You are called. The God of the universe has called you by name and you need to stop counting yourself out of the game. If there's anything that, that Paul's trying to say with chapter 9 through 11 is that look at the example of Israel. They were self-righteous. They rejected me. And I still kept my promises. And I'm still going to keep my promises. So what makes you different? Why would I keep my promises with them and not with you? Friend, you need to understand that Jesus, he's not a, it's no 50-50. If you, if you accept and believe in that, in that gift of salvation, you have it. And you're going to get giftings and you're going to get callings. You're going to get purpose and, and God's going to speak and move in your life. He's not going to just say when you behave bad, he's going to take it all away. So don't feel like your future is in jeopardy just because of your mistakes, but focus more on what Jesus did on the cross. And say, when I mess up, he's still good. When I'm a mess, he's still good. When, I, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm messing up and I'm in, I'm in a cycle of sin and I can't break free and I'm doing something I know I shouldn't be doing, he's still with me. And so what does the book of Romans chapter 9 through 11 tell us? Is that no matter how bad it gets, God's with you. No matter how bad it gets. And right now, maybe you feel like it's over. Ah, oh, you feel like the world is ending. It's just, you, you, there's no way. You feel like this is, I feel, I feel you don't even know how bad I messed up and you don't even know what's haunting me today. Yeah, you're right, I don't know. I, I don't know what you're going through. Probably might not ever know. We might not ever meet, I, I don't know. But I know this. If you were to meet me and tell me how bad it is, I would still tell you the same thing I would tell you today is that Jesus can beat it. Jesus can defeat it. Jesus can save you. Jesus can heal you. Jesus can be with you. Jesus will not forsake you. And so I don't know what it is. But what I do know and what I believe that I'm willing to die for is the fact that Jesus will help you with it. He will. Don't know when, don't know how, but it's going to get done. Because this book right here is full of examples of how Jesus was with his people and how he's with us. Promise after promise after promise from Joshua to Moses to every hero we look at. Not one promise was broken because that's not the God that we serve. So just because he did it for the people of Israel doesn't mean he can't do it for you because he wants to. Jew or Gentile, saint or sinner, Jesus is with you. And so we're going to pray. We're going to pray for those. Maybe you're, you feel counted out. And you feel like your life is anything but Christ-like. And you feel like, ah, there's no way I can serve when we reopen. Oh my gosh, I'm reopening. I want to go back to church so bad, but I can't. Oh my gosh, I've messed up for seven months. I've been in a sinful life. Oh, there's no way I can step foot in the church. There's no way. Can I tell you, you need to break that thinking right now in the name of Jesus. 
We need the church. We need you because Jesus chose you. You are not plan B. You are plan A. God's hope for humanity is in his people, and you are part of that plan. So we need you, friend. Whether it's online or in person, you are needed. You are not needed in the world living a sinful life. You are needed in the church going after the one who created you. And so maybe you feel like, I'm out. I can't, Phil. I can't. I just want to pray that the the Holy Spirit would just speak over you, would heal you right now, would touch your heart. And you will make a decision that when we do reopen, you're ready to join team. You're going to be in a connect group. You're going to start getting serious about your Bible reading plan. You are going to change because you know what it is to be haunted by your past. And you're going to make a decision today not to go down that way. And so, Lord Jesus, we come before you. Just like your word says, Jesus, your promises, you're going to keep them. You always keep your promises. And I pray that that knowledge, that truth would be made real in the lives of every single one of us, especially those that are, that are doubting, that are questioning, that are so focused on what's happening right now that is negative and dis- disruptive, that Lord Jesus, that you would, re- you would renew their mind, renew it, give them a fresh new, that they would capture these thoughts and give them over to you, Jesus. You would, re- you would replace them with thoughts of hope, of courage, of reminding them of their calling over their life. I pray that they would understand that they are never too far gone to come back to you, Jesus. That your death on the cross is not revoked over their life. That you still died for them, you still love them, and you still want to use them. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would heal their mind right now, heal their hearts. That there would be a, a beautiful conviction in their spirit right now to get back to you, Jesus. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you for all the healing that you're doing right now, Jesus. Let me pray. Amen, amen, amen. I want to pray for one last group of people and maybe you don't even have a relationship with Jesus. You are just, a, you're living a life full of rejection and rejection. Like there's no way, Phil, I can't do it. Can I tell you that you can go after everything that this world has to offer and you'll never be happy. Never be happy. Something that came to mind, I remember one time I read this quote, I think Pastor Alex sent it to me, it's by Jay-Z and he was talking about like this concept of that, no, like no matter how much money you make, no matter how many millions and millions you make, it can't buy happiness, no matter what. And this is a guy who's, you know, married to a billionaire who's he's never going to be stressing the rest of his life. And here he is hinting that there's some days where he's not happy fully. And so you can use every excuse in the book, whether it's money, whether it's alcohol, whether it's women, men, whatever the world has to offer. Put it on your plate. It's still not going to fill you up. It's not going to fill you up. But what is, is what was designed to fill you up is Jesus, a relationship with him. A relationship with Jesus is what you need. It's what you're looking for. It's what you're... It's what you're hoping for. It's what you, you may not know that exactly what it is, but you feel it. You're like, "Mm, I need something. I don't know what it is. Can I tell you? It's Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus, he, he died on the cross. We've been talking about the cross all day. Maybe you don't know that there was a cross. It was a form of torture. And here's a man who was blameless, perfect. He was God in human form, the son of God. Yet he saw me, he saw you, and he saw the sin in our life that we knew that he knew we could never get rid of on our own. Because here's the thing, the wages of sin is death. To, to, to defeat sin, we'd have to pay with death, our death. You and I would have to die for our sins. And Jesus, because he loved us, said, no, 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 I can't have my, my people, the ones that I love, go through that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna reverse and, and replace, and I'm gonna take their place. So Jesus, he came down to earth, he died on the cross. He was dead for three days, but he's, he rose from the grave. We believe that Jesus is alive today. And he's speaking to you and he's calling you. 
And all you have to do, like we talked about today, is confess and believe. So you want to accept Jesus? You want to invite him to your heart? It's the best decision you can make. All you have to do is say this prayer with me. And this prayer is acting out what the Bible tells us. We are saying a biblical prayer where there's confession and believing. And it's a repeat after me prayer. It's going to be super easy. And uh, everybody in the church here in the building are going to repeat. As a family, we're going to repeat it with you. And so come on, friend. This is, this is amazing, amazing, amazing step that you're taking. And it's an honor to be able to lead you in this prayer. And it goes like this. Lord Jesus, I open my heart. I invite you inside to be my friend, to be my savior, to be my God. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. From this day forward, I believe in you and I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. I thank you and I love you. And all of God's people said, come on, can we give everybody some, make make some noise for every single person that made that decision. Yeah. I want you to know that all of us in here in church are celebrating your life. We believe in you. We're so pumped for you. We love you so much. And we believe the call over your life. Believing that you just made the greatest decision of your entire life. That you are now saved. You are now cleansed. You now have Jesus living with you. And the beautiful part is we're going to go to heaven one day. But the best part is that he's not done with your life right now. And God has a purpose for you. And here's what I want to do. We want to help you on that journey. Figuring out what God's call over your life is. And one of the best ways of doing it is getting your own Bible. And here's what we want to do. We want to hook you up with a free Bible. So all you have to do is text DECIDED to 33222. It's going to take you less than a minute. You can do it right now. You can interrupt me right now and start texting and start typing. Because here's the thing. We're going to have somebody reach out to you and get you a free Bible. It's a super easy read. Uh, a super bi- easy read. Bi- oh, my God. I'm something. Something. I'm something. It's an easy to read Bible. And um, we want to make sure that we get it in your hands. It's got a bunch of resources. And it's going to bless your life. And so, church, I hope you were blessed. Hope that you continue on this journey of Romans with us. Next Sunday, we're going to continue. Invite a friend. Subscribe. But, hey, we're going to party. We're going to celebrate. So join us. Don't leave right away. Join us for our post-service party. It's going to be awesome. Love you, church. We'll see you next Sunday.